Julian Pensavale. Patrick Hines. They use a clip from Zodiac in this movie. That's the they best do? part about it. Yeah. Where? In the beginning with the hook when they're like two kids in Lover's Lane. Oh, that is, I, that's Zodiac. funny. It made me think of Zodiac. Yep. Oh, that's so funny. That was my favorite part of the movie. A clip from another movie. <laughs> um, girl, a couple things to tell the people. Oh, my God. So, you guys, before we get started, first of all, today we're, we're recording at the beautiful um, podcast studio at Mischief Management. I know. If you hey don't girl. know who they are, you guys, they're the ones putting on PodX. Yes. PodX, where Jillian and I are going to be, we're doing a live show. Mm-hmm. It's this insane lineup of podcasts. It's like us and Crime Writers On and Undisclosed and Bearbrook is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to PodX, like pod and the letter X.com, you'll see all of the, the amazing yeah. podcasts that are going to be there. Yeah. They it's also in, do Broadway Con. And they do Broadway Con. Which we're also going to be yeah, at, which is where, like, really where you know our Broadway people, which is all of our listeners, totally. also. But you guys come to Podex if you live in Nashville, if you live in the South, if you live anywhere. There's going to be so many amazing podcasts there. We're doing a live show. If you go to the CS Live page on our website and click on Podex, it'll take you right to a place to buy tickets. And it's in May. It's the last week of May. It's the week before. Crime con. So we're literally going from Nashville to New Orleans. To New Orleans. To no- New Orleans. New Orleans. I New can't Orleans. wait. You guys, tickets for our Pride show are also on sale. I am gonna. I. I'm just not gonna rest until we sell this thing out. Oh, we will. I know. I'm so excited about it. You guys, you're gonna see Patrick cry and laugh and be hammered. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. And also Patreon. You guys, we're up to oh the Jinx God. episode two. It's up this week. Guess what? When we were having drinks the other night, my I found that Robert Durst impression. I don't know. It just you came did? out of me. I said it at you. No, Robert. Durst was forced <laughs> to hang out with Kathy's family. Everything about episode two is bonkers. When he admits that he basically lied to the cops about everything. Yeah. yeah pretty bonkers. <laughs> pretty bonkers. Um, so you guys, you know what's on the Patreon. Serial, yeah. Staircase, Jinx, all the interviews. Madonna's what? Truth or Dare. <laughs> Madonna's Truth I or Dare. I always have to mention that. Such a wild card. I <laughs> love it. Uh, Patreon.com slash True Crime Obsessed or go to our website, click on the Patreon link. Yeah. Okay, girl, what are we talking about today? A really gigantic waste of my time <laughs> called Killer Legends. I gotta say, I was excited for this. I loved Cropsy. Well, the concept is great. It's like figuring out all these urban legends and like how they affected true crime. It's yeah. like, it's kind of interesting. Totally. The idea, not yeah. the movie. <laughs> And then that's the thing that I'm like more most offended by that it could have been great. How about how like in the end they spend 45 minutes driving around Chicago asking people if they've ever seen a clown and that like mass clown grave in the cemetery? It's just so self indulgent. <laughs> they just love themselves, which is great. Everyone should love yourself. But it's like I don't need a documentary. Like don't disguise this documentary as something else when it's really you just want to be the guy from Cropsy forever. Every town has its legends. Every neighborhood has its boogeyman, a killer with a hook for a hand, the drifter who snatches children, the witch who lives in the woods. Why are you here tonight? We hear stories. You just want to see what's about, I guess. What do you guys expect to find out here? People who died here are supposed to be the ghosts. Do you believe that they're devil worshippers? Oh, yeah, I do. I do. Do you think every urban legend has truth behind it? Yes, I think you have to have some form of, like, truth to gonna go off of. A truth that is often more terrifying than any fiction. An old legend that actually happened this time. Many more cases of contaminated treats. I know she suffered a lot. He pulled a knife and tied me up with electrical tape. I almost destroyed you to see something like that. A random crazy man, lunatic. 
taking a scary story and literally making it true. Today, they found the bodies of at least three young boys buried under his house. For Rachel and I, this is an attempt to uncover the truth behind our urban legends. <gasps> oh my God, that's the cord around her neck. As we pull back the curtain on what it is we all fear. Do you believe that really happened? Yeah, and she was holding on like for dear life to the fans. People had theories and all kinds of rumors had been bouncing around. So many people believed the fiction and the fiction became reality. Legends last for a long time. Look at that line, son of a mm -hmm. bitch. You don't trust nobody. Can't. Because urban legends, as scary as they may be, are really just warnings for something much more dangerous. The reality that may have started it all. A little movie called Cropsy? Uh, yeah, they tell you for about 25 minutes. <laughs> I was like, is this whole opening bit gonna just be Cropsy? Yes. Listen, I never again need to see the picture of that poor guy. Well, whatever. He's, I can't remember if he's a murderer or not, but he's being dragged out of the jail with like in handcuffs with the drool, the yeah. drool picture. I also never need to see the disgusting, uh, that mental ho that hospital and how they treated everybody. That Geraldo video? Yes. I never need. So, of course, they just picked the, the most traumatic. Things to discuss for the first twenty-five minutes, and yeah, it's so 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 disgusting. And the other thing they start this is a trend that you'll hear eleven thousand times. The truth is scarier than we ever could have imagined. How many times? I'm not exaggerating. I know the thing about it is sometimes, like you know, this guy Josh. I keep wanting to call him Zach. Josh, you know, wrote the script, and it, it definitely sounded better in his head than when he was in the studio recording it. No one was like, "You can't say than we ever imagined." One more time, you can't keep saying it. You have to find a different way to say it. His narration is also so over the top. He's like, "Because urban legends, as scary as they may be, are really just warnings for something much more dangerous." The reality. That may have started it all. It's like, whoa. I mean, you never could have imagined it, girl. I know. Uh. <laughs> all right. Should we talk about the hook? Yeah. So they go through like four urban legend things, right? Yeah. And the first one is the hook. And again, like I said before, the best part about this movie is that they use a four second clip from Zodiac. <laughs> the hook is one of the oldest and also one of the scariest urban legends. A teenage couple are making out in their car while parked at a lover's lane. As the two are about to go all the way, the radio interrupts them. A crazed maniac with a hook for a hand has escaped from the local insane asylum. The frightened girl demands to go home as the frustrated boy guns the engine. Later, as the boyfriend goes to open his date's door, he sees dangling from the door handle the maniac's bloody hook ripped from its socket. They make the point first that the, the girl insists on going home and the boyfriend is super mad about it. Right, no, because he she owes him sex, clearly. <laughs> We're in the 50s now, aren't we? But really, it was a scare tactic. It was like, don't have sex in cars because the right. guy with the hook will come, will come and get you. And they make the point that like that's what this urban legend is getting at. The scariness of like teen sex and also teen car culture. Yeah, so then we, we get to this this murder, right? In 1946, they call it the Moonlight Murders. The guy is the phantom, whoever did I was it, like, right? loved your musical. <laughs> is that our palate cleanser? Oh, no, I can't no, do that I to hate, these poor people. I hate phantom. I'm sorry. <laughs> For the teenagers in Texarkana, Texas, this wasn't just some cautionary tale. In the early spring of 1946, a masked man known as the phantom attacked four couples, most of whom were parked on lovers' lanes. The attacks, which killed five, 
were said to coincide with the full moon, hence the nickname, the Moonlight Murders. And although there were numerous suspects, the Phantom was never caught, allowing his enduring legacy to haunt this town for more than six decades. Yeah, so it's 1946, so two people were shot on Lover's Lane, right? Inside, he found Griffin, age 29, and Polly Ann Moore, 17, lying in the back seat. Both have been shot in the back of the head. Um, excuse me, what are you doing out with a 17-year-old? Because he's 29, hello? I know, 29 years old. And 17. In 1946, I feel like that's, like, older and younger. You know, know. like, it's a young 17 (laughs) and an old 29 in 1946. So this is this is really what they do. They're like, let's try to investigate a crime from 1946 that has no evidence and we don't know anything about. And then let's go to the town where it took place and ask all the locals if they remember it. They literally walk... So this is my issue starting from the beginning. They've done no research. They've None. read the Wikipedia page of, of Maybe. each one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they get to this, like... Texarkana, Texas, yeah. and they're talking about the first of these Lover's Lane murders, they walk into the hardware store, yeah. and they're like, do you know anything about this murder? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows about it. Hey, guys, how you doing? What we're doing is we're investigating the Phantom Killer. They had a lot of speculations on who did it, but... It was never, no one was ever brought to justice. The one old lady who's like, I'll take you out to the parking lot and show you exactly where it happened. They're like, great. We're having a little trouble finding out where the area is, but because everything's Well, changed. I can take you out there to the, to the road and point to almost the spot. Right about there. Right uh-huh. there. And on that, there on that side. So then we also get like another, because there are all these murders happening on Lover's Lane, yeah. right? So we get another headline on the paper. And I don't know if you caught this, a paper from 1946. It was like another another murder, like something horrible, yeah, right, yeah, about, yeah. The, about the headline. And then in like the corner, it's just like, the KKK are burning those crosses yet again. <laughs> I was like, this is peak 1946. Peak Texarkana, Texas. Texarkana. I mean, my God. At least they were like mad about it. There's another movie that takes from the 60s. It's called The Legend of Boggy Creek. It takes place in Texarkana, and it's about Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Bigfoot lives in Texarkana. Really? Yeah. That's where she's been all this time. <laughs> you solved it. <laughs> so, I got it. We have to get something out of the way, because this is where the hook comes in. Because yeah. everyone's probably like, what does this have to do with the hook guy? What right, is happening? Right. Oh, yeah. I know what you're going to say. So they And they have all these experts. Like, okay, whatever. The, fir- the first expert they have is this guy named James Presley. He goes, well, the first double murder didn't cause a whole lot of excitement. Oh. <laughs> Too much KKK cross burnings <laughs> happening to pay attention to a murder. Um, but the thing is, like, these are murders, and they're learning that they're also rapes, too, yeah. which is a nightmare. And um, apparently one of the victims was sexually assaulted with the barrel of a gun. So then this folklore expert makes the connection where it's like, it's a metal, it's a foreign metal object. Hence the hook. Right. And I'm like, oh, okay. That was kind of a leap for me, too. I was like, what? You're, they're just trying so hard. I think what happened is that they realized that nothing is connecting these urban legends to true crime. Right. And they were like, well, we're here. We have to find a connection somehow. I think that's what happened. Totally. I think they're just as disappointed as These guys, these two, Rachel and Josh, have done not a minute's worth of research. I'm going to say that over and over and over Rachel again. Rachel makes it very clear she really doesn't want to be there. No. Rachel was only in like two minutes of Cropsey, and I feel like- She, she was in Cropsey? I, she was, I think she was there. She's the researcher. That's her lower third. Exactly. Because she, she's the one that goes to the house in the middle of the woods with him in the middle of the night, and they oh. find those kids. I feel like she just got into this movie, and she was like, bitch, I, what are you, I didn't, I did not 
sign up for all this. Yeah, nothing makes sense. Nothing no. connects. Like, what is she supposed to be researching? Exactly. So, at the time, there was a lead suspect in this, like, the Phantom Murders or whatever. Yeah, Yule Swinney. Yule Swinney. And my favorite is when somebody says that Sweeney and his bride, a former prostitute named Peggy... <laughs> and Peggy. <laughs> and she was like, he did it. He totally did it. He's the murderer. Under questioning, the wife confessed that her husband was the phantom, but refused to sign a statement. Although the case quickly fell apart, the judge still sent Sweeney away for life as a habitual car thief. But now, the movie that you said you really wish we were talking about. Oh my God, you guys. The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And it was kind of like the first cult classic slasher flick. The director, Charles B. Pierce, blurred the lines between fact and fiction by telling the film in faux documentary style. It was Sunday, March 3rd, 1946. The beginning of a reign of terror for the people of Texarkana, a terror so indelibly imprinted that today people still speak of it fearfully. Only the names have been changed. This movie is described as like being faux documentary style, yeah. so people kind of believe that like what happens in the movie is like what really happens, and they have that narration, that scary narration. Dude. And the movie looks really scary. It looks like one of those like fabulous B movies. A hundred, hundred zillion percent. World War II had just ended. In Texarkana, Arkansas, boys had come home to their families. Husbands reunited with their wives. It was a happy, peaceful time. <laughs> until the phantom killer struck. For four months, he held an entire city in the icy grip of terror. It's funny, too, because we meet the local Leslie Nope. We meet, like, the Parks and Rec director. Yes. He's amazing. The Parks and Rec guy is saying how, like, he, they have this fabulous tradition in Texarkana of showing this, this movie every October. Mm-hmm. It's like a Halloween thing that they sure. all love. You basically set up the screening that you have of town that dreaded sundown at uh, Spring Lake Park. Yes, we do it every October. Because of the history, we like the idea of having this out at Spring Lake Park, since that's where some of the murders took place at. We started getting some phone calls saying that they didn't think it was right, that there were still families in town that, you know, that was affected by this. The police concern was is that it was going to cause somebody else to have the idea to start doing it again. And then all of a sudden, Rachel, who has like, she's an under five in this. I mean. She speaks up and she's like, wasn't there just like a Hollywood film crew here like remaking this movie? And Leslie Dope's like, I'm sorry, what? I know. The film crew was in town last month Mm -hmm. and there's a new movie being made. I've heard that the storyline of the movie is about a copycat that comes out from the screenings that happen at Spring Lake. Are you serious? That's the first I've heard about that. And the guy just looked at him like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, please don't green light that. My God. <laughs> yeah. But now, so now they're using, like, all of these other phantom. Now we're, we're like, back in 1946, right? Yeah, and we're yeah. learning about all these other phantom murders. But then they use, and then they were, like, comparing what is in the town that dreaded sundown, right? Right. So there's this one, Betty Jo Booker is a victim of the phantom uh, killer. And she played the saxophone. Oh, <laughs> This is so horrible. But in the movie, they changed it to the trombone (laughs) so that the phantom killer could kill her with it. Okay, so listen, as a professional ex-trombone player, I played all through middle school and high school. Professional (laughs) ex-trombone. 
you did also? I, I did. I did not play all through high school. I had drama club to do, but I played it like in, into my freshman year. Um, that th- slide, this, <laughs> <laughs> it's called a slide. Yeah. So you guys, in this move, so in real life, this poor woman and her date were like both yes. shot two miles apart from each other. Right. It's horrible. In the movie, the killer ties her to a tree. Oh God! Ties a knife to the end of the slide. Yeah, and then <laughs> like plays the trombone <laughs> and kills her. The scene was so memorable. Some people no. in town actually think no, that's how she died. No, listen. I've never been stabbed, so I don't know what being stabbed feels like. But they have this poor girl tied to a tree, and every time the trombone slide like stabs her, yeah, she just goes. Ah! Yeah, it's it is so. <laughs> It is like it's so insane, and I remember like I was like, "Is he killing her with the trombone?" I know I, he is. The knife is tied to the end of the trombone and it's slide. Like, rrr, rrr, yeah, rrr, rrr. it's ridiculous. It's horrible. Also, at the end of the trombone slide, you guys, I'm an ex pro. Yeah, is the little valve that you press to let the spit out. There's a spit valve. I never knew that, but of course there is, right? The actual site of where Betty Jo Booker's body was found along the edge of a forgotten road, had eluded many. Lost in time when a section of the park was turned into housing, this was one mystery we were determined to solve. They do this thing where they're like, they are walking through the woods okay. at night. Every So they go investigate these these locations where okay. the people were murdered. They investigate it at night every single time. To make it scarier. First of exactly. all, that's just bad filmmaking because we can't see anything. And it also is telling us that you're not really investigating this. You're, not you're inv- just trying to make a ghost story. And at one point, he's like, they're comparing the crime scene photos, so they both have those gigantic yellow flashlights. They're marching through the woods, you guys. They're trying to find the tree where the trombone murder happened, <laughs> but it wasn't. She didn't really die that way. You know, she didn't die that way, and she played the saxophone. I know exactly. They're they're walking through the woods. They this have no map. They they looked it up like on a computer minutes before they went in. Yeah, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They see two trees next to each other. Yeah, see that picture for a second. They pull up the crime scene photo of two trees next to each other. And he's like, do you think this is the same spot? This is or... probably very likely. This is it's totally very right. likely. I heard that yeah. this was the spot. Does it look like it? Like if you're looking at it like that? At 60 years. Mm-hmm. Could very well be it. It could be. And Rachel's <laughs> like, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Do I even get a day rate? Do I get lunch? <laughs> At least, Poor like Rachel. Rachel does not want to be here. Uh, I'm so bored. I have that in my notes. I'm bored. <laughs> I'm bored. This movie I'm was that, very, that, very that, that Lindsay Lohan gif where she's Elizabeth. T- I'm bored. I'm so bored. That was me watching it. All right. So this is one of my favorite parts. Someone mentions that there's another like possible killer. They're like, well, maybe it wasn't that Yule guy. Maybe it was like people think that maybe it was this guy. The one person that I haven't been satisfied he was cleared was a young man that committed suicide and left a note saying he was the phantom killer. It's just part of the legend, the uh, son of the prominent family that had the connections to, you know, cover up his dirty deed. All of a sudden, like, it gets interesting. They're like, we're going to go research. We're going to go to the library and get on the microfiche. Promising lead proves dud. It's interesting. So they don't call him the Phantom at all in this. They investigate for 30 seconds. They don't find anything. And they're like, no, it must not have been that guy. Yeah. That is the extent of the research these fucking people did. Yeah. And then they meet this guy, Mark, who's a Phantom expert, who's basically like, he's introduced to someone who's, quote, obsessed with the case. (laughs) 
This is Mark Bledsoe, a former probation officer who is obsessed with the case and conducted his own investigation. I developed a passion, I guess, in the 90s. Uh, I, I, I saw the film, of course, when I was a seventh grader. And I was pretty scared because the way it, the, the film ends, it shows the boots and said he could still be walking the town. I wanted to know what the truth was. And then they meet, we like see this this video footage of Yule Swinney from 1994. Yeah, so this guy, the expert, the one who's obsessed with the case, actually went and interviewed the one prime suspect. Yeah. Sweeney, who was out of jail and living in a Texas nursing home, had suffered a stroke the year before, making his speech difficult to decipher. You could barely understand him. You could, it was like, had to be subtitled. You see Rachel, like, with one ear tilted toward the TV and her eyes closed, bitches focusing. Yeah, and then she keeps repeating what he's saying to, like, translate it to, for Josh. You were the main suspect of Pam No, I wasn't. Who do you think was the main I don't know. What do you say? And he's basically just like, I'm innocent. I didn't do it. <laughs> In the middle of this, someone's like, hey, y'all. Are y'all videotaping? Did y'all sign the papers? Hi. I just wanted to check on them. They tell me y'all were videotaping. And then... <laughs> That video footage cuts off, and then it's like, it looks like a TV show or something. Like, there's something totally it's different. It's like he taped over Murphy Brown. Yeah, yeah. Or, some, or yeah, like Murder, She Wrote or something relevant, Columbo. And so then it just goes, and, Ra- and Rachel goes, God, so close. <laughs> I feel like there was more there. Uh, and I'm like, there was zero information. I know, like, the confession was a second away. And all he did was say how innocent he was. I- She's like, damn, we almost had him. I'm like, there was zero information was learned from These that footage. People did no research. Yeah. They, once again, they showed up and walked into the hardware store. Yeah, at, at night. Don't yeah. think you can't do that research with the trees at two in the afternoon. I know. Give me a break. <laughs> every, they, every single scene they went to was at two o'clock in the morning. So that poor fucking Rachel could get scared by a spider. It happens every single time. With a really big spider web. I know. That she basically walks into and then they zoom in on the spider and it's huge. <laughs> like, oh but God. it happened to Cropsy too. And she's like, ah! Remember in Cropsy, they like go to the, the insane asylum in the middle of the woods yeah. in the middle of the night because they couldn't possibly go during the day. Was there a spider a spider went no, there too? Poor Rachel gets scared and jumps, yeah. and that's like the big jump moment for the audience. Right. It's Ugh. such nonsense. Oh look, we're done with the hook guy. They just stop <laughs> that's the other thing. They just like stop. And he's like, in conclusion, people in town believe the movie version more than the real version. I'm like, that's what a fucking urban legend is. Right. <laughs> That's what an urban legend is, that like all over time the story changes and people believe that more than reality. Because the reality is sad and scary and horrifying. Exactly. So you have to ma- sensationalize it. And I'm 100% convinced they went into this thinking they were going to make a documentary about the hook guy. Yeah. They're like, you guys, this is going to be 14 minutes. Shit, we got to. Does anyone know any other urban legends? <laughs> And Rachel, Rachel as the researcher, is like, let me, she's on the Wikipedia page for, like, lists of urban legends. They just picked three at random. They threw darts. You guys, we have a newscaster. (laughs) Tonight is Halloween, and kids will be out trick-or-treating. We hope that the treats will be many, and the tricks, ingenious. Horrible copy. Who wrote that? <laughs> Fire that PA. <sighs> so now we're at the Candyman. But it all comes back to the hook, guys, because yeah. in the movie, the Candyman, he has a hook. I know. It's so Why? ridiculous. I don't know. But guess what? The real story is more horrific than we ever could have imagined. <laughs> okay. 
God. So whatever. They're driving into like downtown Houston to get this story is actually enragingly horrible. Yeah. Well, the the whole thing. So the Candyman urban legend is that the whole thing about how like kids should never eat candy on Halloween because people are poisoning them or putting razor blades in them or whatever. We've all heard the same story about Halloween. Little Johnny had been warned to never go trick-or-treating at any house he didn't know. But he didn't listen. Instead, he convinces his friends to go get candy from this one weird house. Later that night, as they're all digging through their loot, there's this scream. All the kids are rushed to the hospital, but it's too late. Johnny's dead from eating candy laced with poison. And all the other kids had their mouths ripped open from swallowing razor blades and glass. They never to catch the person who did it. My favorite is like the commercial for the urgent care place that's doing candy x-rays. <laughs> All Next Care Urgent Care locations are offering free candy x-rays through tomorrow. We haven't had any instances where we've found any tampered candy, but you read it in the news and you see all of these crazy pictures online. And so, you know, if I were a parent, I would be a little bit concerned as well. And this is like pretty recent, right? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. just this total like fear mongery, like don't eat, nope, no, don't eat candy on Halloween kids. Right. And everyone's like, then what the fuck else am I going to do? You guys, it all started because some housewife somewhere was pissed off that older kids were trick-or-treating. In Long Island. She yeah. was like, <laughs> it's like that episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry's like, you're teenagers, you're too old for this. And like gets mad at them. She gives out dog treats, Brillo pads, and some like and can- poison. Yeah, <laughs> and she's like, "What? It was a joke." And the cops were like, "Girl." Although file testified it was just a joke, she was still found guilty of endangering children. I was kind of like, this lady's my hero. It made me think of the time when I was in high school. And God, this is so gay. Me and my friend Amanda went trick-or-treating as juniors. And we were not joking. What were we you were not as? doing as? The Indigo Girls. <laughs> Picks or it didn't happen. I was actually going to message Amanda today and be like, please tell me you have oh, one picture. Oh, you have to somewhere. Because my mom had like, I remember we had wigs in my house because I was obsessed with wigs. Sure. Of course, guys, I was so gay. I was wearing my Swampophilia t-shirt. I know. I've, it's only gotten, I've only gotten gayer, Girl, you guys. We're screeching in the Broadway con booth. <laughs> like, come on. My, all of my dreams have come true officially. Right. It, how hilarious would it have been if we had been like trick or treat, which we said at every Did you house. Have guitars? No, we didn't have guitars, but we were like Indigo Girls between gigs or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if some lady had opened the door and been like, "No, bitch," yeah. and give me a Brillo pad, she would have been my hero. Right. You know the costume's great when you have to explain it. We're the Indigo Girls, but between gigs. <laughs> yeah. Some some housewife in Long Island had had it. Yeah, She's totally. Poisoning kids <laughs> for trick or treating. Like this is why we can't have nice things. This is why everything is turning to shit because you can't just go out and trick or treat. But you shouldn't if you're seventeen years old. Yeah. Try telling seventeen year old dressed as a lesbian me that. Not listening. Not listening, girl. <laughs> no bitch. The one case of tainted candy that seemed to bring this nightmare to life happened on a rainy Halloween night in Pasadena, Texas. The perpetrator of this evil crime is known to some as the man who killed Halloween, and to others is simply the Candyman. So you guys, okay, yeah. can you can we get a garbage ding? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's October 31st, 1974. This is bullshit. Yeah, this is total bullshit. 
there's a group of kids, the O'Briens and their friends, whatever yeah. the hell their names are. The O'Briens come home after a night of trick-or-treating. This yeah. kid is eight. His sister is five. And the dad decides that the kids can each have one piece of candy before they go to bed. Right. Timothy, still wearing his Planet of the Apes costume, chose a giant pixie stick, one of five that his father had gotten from a neighborhood house that night. Ronald had divvied up the other sticks to his daughter, one of the Bates kids, and a local boy named Whitney Parker. The sugar inside had clumped together, so Ronald rolled the sticks in his hands before pouring the powder down his son's throat. Minutes later, Timothy was violently vomiting, and after being rushed to the hospital, he was pronounced dead. The cause? Cyanide poisoning. So, like, we hear that the dad is, like, driving around with the police and pointing out this guy and that guy, and everybody has an alibi. They don't know where the pixie stick came from. Because the kid dies. The kid dies in the hospital. An eight-year-old kid, and it happens so fast. Yeah. Like, there's cyanide in the pixie stick. He eats the pixie stick. He's at the hospital, and then he di- It's the most tragic thing. Right. On Halloween in a cute little costume. Like, it's horrible. Eight-year-old fucking it's, kid. It's, it's absolutely- horrifying. So Josh is like, oh, I know how I can make this more horrible. Yeah, yeah. So he goes <laughs> to the house where this all took place in the 70s. It's down here, I think, on the left. All right, so Greg, how do you want to do this? So- I'll just, I'll hang back here. Okay. The cameraman's like, I'm going to stay right here, bro. Yeah. And I'm like, they're not going to do what I think they're going to (laughs) do. And Rachel's like, I really don't want to do this. So we're going to go up. I'm not totally into this. I I can understand. I can understand why you'd want to do this. Yeah. It just makes me feel a little uncomfortable knocking on someone's house and telling them what tragedy happened here. Because Rachel is the only grown-up in the room. And she's hungry. She hasn't eaten. Right. Where's craft services? <laughs> Her hair has also been in that same, like, sort of fabulous flip position. Yeah. For, like, d- weeks now. She's Since over. the hardware store. Since the hardware store. <laughs> <laughs> Two urban legends ago. <laughs> so fucking, Rachel apparently agrees to go. Well, I was going to say, first she's, I, I don't want to do this, but then, th- yet there she is on the doorstep. Like, <laughs> Rachel, don't be bullied by Josh. Oh, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Hey, sorry to bother you. So this little old lady answers the door. I kind of love this woman because she's kind of like what I imagine I'm going to be like. Like she's in a full on house dress. For sure. No shoes. Right. Hair is a mess. And we and the camera guy did stay in the car because this is from very far away. But she's game. Like she is. She hasn't probably seen a visitor in weeks. Right, right. Her kids do not come to visit. Yeah. You guys want some lemonade cookies? She's got the whole thing. (laughs) So Josh is like. We wanted to talk to you. We're doing a documentary. And we want to talk to you about the family that lived here before. Do you know him? You know Ronald Clark O'Brien? Do you know what happened in this house? Like, she's like, no, tell me, bitch, though. Tell me, Yeah, bitch. and she's like, why? Did something bad happen? And Josh does that thing that it's like a, a, a immature kid where he's totally. like, I'm not going to tell you. Never mind. You it's too never bad. Mind, never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too bad. And she was like, excuse me. <laughs> no, you don't have no idea about him? I have no idea. I've never seen him. Something scary happened here or something. I don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> Thanks very much. You want to know? You really want to know? Yeah. Do you really want to know? So the guy who lived in here was a guy named Ronald Clark O'Brien. He gave his son a poison pixie stick. Mm-hmm. He, He's the murderer? Yeah. He the killed it. That's right. A good drop. I thought that was so stupid and just like, it's this whole thing is so amateur hour and unprofessional. And, and just also like, because this is how we find out that the dad is the one who did it. Yeah, Ronald O'Brien killed and his son. On purpose. And then the, when the lady finds out, she goes, the dad was a murderer? Oh, good God. Oh, good God. <laughs> After receiving a call from an insurance agent, police discovered O'Brien had taken out a large policy on his kids, but not himself, nor his wife. Even more damning, he had talked to numerous people about death by cyanide, 
and had even tried to buy the chemical from local companies. It's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. Somebody points out that he gave the same pixie stick to his sister and to the two kids he'd been trick-or-treating with. He was going to kill fucking all, all of them. them. That's that's disgusting. I know. We got to talk for just a second about former DA Mike Hinton because yeah. he's got my favorite line of the whole documentary. What is it? He says, Look at that lying son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Look at that lying son of a bitch. Oh, he <laughs> has had it. You know, when you when you kill your kid and attempt to kill other people, right. you don't get the benefit of the doubt, really. No. And you are lying, son of a bitch. Yeah, you get an AKA this bitch slapped on your fucking coffin. And like every garbage bell of all time. I know. So, uh, you know, he's sentenced to death. He's maintaining his innocence. Right. I, and I love that it took, the, it took the jury 45 minutes to find him guilty and another 75 minutes to sentence his motherfucker to death. Yeah. But you know what? We're not, over, we're not done with him just yet because he gets a visit from someone in prison. <laughs> Phil? Donahue. That music. I was gonna say, was Phil Donahue's music always like fucking crazy elevator music? It was weird, and it just so it's just because it's like Donahue, Texas Death Row is the is the on screen text, but the music is so ridiculous that it looks and it's like big orange font or something. Like it's it looks so cartoony. weird. I know, I know. And this whole conversation is just so bonkers. Donahue's like, so let's talk about how you're going to be executed. <laughs> In about four days. Let's talk about that. It looks like you're going to be executed. Would you agree with that? It's a possibility. I've been aware of that possibility since the sentence was handed down. It doesn't make it right. You guys, immediately, as soon as this guy is sentenced, he's no longer the guy that killed his kid and tried to kill the other kids. He's the guy that ruined Halloween for Mm -hmm. everybody. You are accused of ruining Halloween for everybody. Well, that's a matter of opinion. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, people are upset you're alive. Let's talk about how you're going to (laughs) die and how you ruined Halloween for everyone. How do you sleep at night, sir? It is also clear that most Americans want to get on with this. They are upset that you're alive. I, I can see that point, sure. It's as though he was sentenced to death for ruining Halloween. According to Donahue, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> he killed his kid! Yeah, and he was, and then he was killed by lethal injection at the end. But wait, as they're wheeling <laughs> him into the death chamber... He's ruining Halloween, I'm sorry. I know, I somebody says, it's like you don't see the person say it, you just hear it. Somebody yeah. says, Do you think Halloween will ever be the same again? Do you think Halloween will ever be the same again? <laughs> yes! <laughs> How about, like, the the wife who has to mourn her child and, and, and like, wrap her mind around the fact of what her husband did? Like, I know. can we talk about her? Is she going to be okay? I know. She'll never be the same again. And the sister? Yeah. Horrible. It's just like, if, if, like, if she had opened the pixie stick first, it would have been her. Absolutely. Can you imagine? No. I just wanted to say one more thing about um, my friend, Mike Hinton. <laughs> They're listening to a tape of O'Brien, the yeah, killer, the fucking Ronald. baby killer, talking about, like, I didn't do it. I know where I'm going to go right. when I die. I'm fine. And we hear Hinton off camera goes, You're going straight to hell, buddy. You're going straight to hell, buddy. Yeah, and I'll see you there. <laughs> next up, the call is coming from inside the house. That's you- our next urban legend. Leave me Sergeant Sacker, listen to me. We've traced the call. The caller is in the house. The calls are coming from the house. It's coming from inside the house. Just at that moment, the babysitter looks over as a man is coming down the stairs. And so then they spend about 27 minutes talking about how dangerous babysitting is. (laughs) Or was. 
But then it turns out not so much because Rachel did five minutes worth of research. Yeah. And she's like, it turns out we had to go all the way back to the 1950s to find an actual incident of a babysitter being murdered. We found this case of uh, Jeanette Christman here in Columbia, Missouri, which is why we're here. Yeah, these stories are horrible. They're horrible, you guys. So this this girl Jeanette Chrisman was babysitting, and we this is 1950. Yeah, we, in Missouri, right? We meet her friend Carol, who's telling us the story. Yeah, and Carol's like, I too was babysitting that night. It was a kind of a eerie night. I also was babysitting, and I just felt uneasy, and and that was unusual for me because I did quite a bit of babysitting, but I just felt that something was going on about. 12 o'clock. And I even got up to check the door, make sure it was locked, went in to check the little boy. He was fine. What we find out is that Jeanette had, like, something had happened. Somebody broke into the house yeah. and she would called the police and, like, dropped the phone. But the only thing they heard were desperate screams. Unable to trace the call, the police were helpless to stop her murder. The murder's never been solved, and it's horrifying. We've got a pretty strong suspect, though. Uh, yeah. Because Mary Lou Jenkins... Mary Lou Jenkins was the other reason we were in Columbia. On February 6, 1946, Mary Lou, age 20, was home alone while her mother was out caring for an elderly neighbor. The next morning, she came home to find Mary Lou dead. Much like Jeanette Christman's murder four years later, Mary Lou had been raped and strangled with an electrical cord. So we meet Mary Beth Brown, who is a local researcher, and we hear the name Floyd Cochran for the first time. Yeah. And Floyd was executed for these murders, which he most likely didn't do, but he did kill his wife. <laughs> do you think Floyd was innocent? I think he was likely innocent of killing Mary Lou Jenkins, yes. He did kill his wife, in likely domestic dispute. But just from reading the trial transcripts, it just didn't seem like he had the wherewithal to kill and rape a young woman. They don't really get into this, but Floyd had been arrested for murdering his wife, uh-huh. then had these murders pinned on him. Uh-huh. And the researcher's like, no, he didn't do that. He did, however, probably kill his wife. Yeah, he's also a black guy. And he's mentally challenged. Right, so they're just like, eh, don't let's just get the black guy for it. <laughs> right. he, we know he killed somebody else. <laughs> right. That's exa- I mean, 1950, everybody. I know, it's In Missouri. terrible. Come it's, on. And it's so funny, because there's a moment here because this happens again. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment here where Josh tinkers with the idea of making a real documentary right. for a second. Sure. We came here to investigate an urban legend. But what we found was truly shocking. The unsolved murders of two young girls, a series of brutal rapes, and the possibility that men were being falsely accused and even executed. In all honesty, the truth was more unflinchingly real than we could have ever imagined. And then Josh is like, Let's go back to the hook. Yeah. The call's coming from inside the house. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. And also, like, there was no phone call. Like, this is not connected right. to that urban light. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a break-in. Right. And a exactly. rape and a murder. Like, what are you talking about? Right. And who do you think did it? I've been told several people, but more than any other name was Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller was a high school friend of Ed Romax, and it was the Romax house where Jeanette was babysitting that night. The Romax told police that Mueller had often commented on Jeanette being a virgin and had alluded to knowing intimate details of the crime. You guys, Robert Mueller, not that Robert Mueller. <laughs> I Mueller. was like, please, it's not a Mueller. It's like, we cannot make Bob Mueller the bad guy. No, no, no. Bob Mueller's the good guy. Yeah, and they say Mueller. So this guy is the a Mueller. This yeah, guy yeah. is a Mueller. So here's what we learn about this bitch piece of shit. <laughs> 
The first thing we learned about him is that he was always commenting on how Jeanette was a virgin. Excuse you, mind your fucking business. She's 13 <laughs> years old. I know. His name just kept coming up. And the thing about Mueller, the only thing in his, working in his favor is that he passed a polygraph test. Right. And so the grand jury wouldn't indict him. So they pin it on the black guy. You know how I feel about polygraph tests. I know. No I know. Bullshit. I know. And But you guys, once again, the truth was more unflinchingly real than we ever could have imagined. <laughs> so, but they do get access to these case files. And they, they're, we see them like going through the case files and they're pulling out photos. And they're, they're sort of like piecing it together from the photos. That's the cord around her neck right there. It's one of those irons back then with the thick cords. It's a window that was broken that supposedly whoever did this went in and out of. But the Venetian blinds, if someone were going through there, they'd be yeah, totally ripped up. But the piano, look. Mm-hmm. That's the window that... Oh, look. Right, that's duck, the, look. There's the broken glass, and that's yeah. why they're saying nothing's disturbed, because look at the area around it. So, inside job. Mm-hmm. They showed those photos for way too long. Because you see the body. You see the body in the photos. Yes. I think it's horrible. I think like that does not make you a good documentary. That no. does not mean you're cracking the case just because they're really horrible. Like show some respect for these people. Exactly. And I just felt that it was really just like bad poor form. Bad yeah. form, guys. And they, they ultimately they sort of come up with the the theory that Mueller did it. Mm-hmm. And Sort of here's how. So Mueller knew that there was a, a loaded shotgun in the house. They they find that like in a newspaper article. Right. Before the 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 owners of the house went out, they're like, oh, and if you need if you need some self defense, here's a loaded shotgun. Yeah. And so thirteen year old girl. Thirteen year old girl. Can you imagine with the kid upstairs? Here's where the shotgun is. Thirteen year old kid. Okay. And so they also find out that this guy Mueller had called her to babysit for him that night but she was she she told him she couldn't do it because she was babysitting for these people right so he knew where she was he knew that she'd be alone and he knew where she was and right. he also knew the intimate details of the house because he was friends with the people who lived there right and there was no evidence of a break-in so i guess that's the connection of it's coming from inside the house kind of thing right so what he did was he broke a window mm-hmm. near where the gun was right to get her away from the gun so she runs away from that window runs and calls the police he like waltzes in through the front door yeah. which is wide open and then rapes and murders her. Yeah. But we can't prove it. But we can't prove it. So pin it on the black guy. Yeah, and just look at these really horrible nightmare-inducing photos for 10 minutes. (laughs) The next segment is called Why So Serious? And it's just about killer, crazy, creepy clowns. No one can say for sure where in Chicago it happened first, or even when. But they were out there, snatching kids off the streets. They trolled playgrounds and schoolyards. Sometimes they use balloons or candy to lure the gullible ones. But ask anyone who's seen them, and they'll all tell you the same thing. It was the white van they saw first. And then that face behind the wheel, painted white with a maniacal smile. You guys, this section is so stupid. We're talking to more locals. Yeah, they tell us about the evolution of clowning. So it starts with je- like this whole nonsense about like I where know. clowning comes from and like why people are scared of clowns. And then they meet these locals who were like, "It's definitely true. It totally happened." And this the same woman is like, "We have tons and tons and tons <laughs> of pedophiles in this community." Do you believe it really happened? I believe so. We have tons and tons of pedophiles in this community. I always log on to. Really? Oh, yes. Dressing as a clown? Yeah. (laughs) That's a little extreme, don't you think? No. But you never saw the clown? No. Wait a second. Why do you live there? And why are you? 
you like not doing anything? Tons and tons of pedophiles? It's so crazy because this is recently on like I don't know, maybe it was Funny or Die did a whole like parody of the killer clown thing. Mm-hmm. This is what this felt like. It felt like a parody of like For what sure. is happening. There's not a single person that was like kidnapped. There's not a single person who actually everybody's cousin saw it. Right, right, right. Everybody's and- sister in law was there. She swears she to God. She swears. She told me over Pinot Grige. Right. But then there's, they even have a newscaster who's like, and just to be clear, no children have been harmed or hurt or interacted with or the clown. Or actually seen a clown. Yeah, but many people are saying the clown exists. <laughs> Tom, back to you. It's like, what the fuck? What am I watching? And then it's like, Rachel, this poor Rachel has just decided, you know what? I'm just going to give this my all. There's like scenes of her crossing streets, literally like Inspector Gadget. She's like, I think a clown could have been here. I think there could possibly have been a clown here. Was that before or after she mentions Homie the Clown? from In Living Color. <laughs> Rachel. Back in the early 90s, there was a popular show on In Living Color. Huge character on there, Homie the Clown. That Wikipedia page, <laughs> list of clowns in television shows, like, come on. Rachel. And then, the, okay, this was also the tone deafness of this moment. They're talking about how, like, one of the kids was like, it was scarier than living in Cabrini Green. So Cabrini Green is this, like, housing, this notorious housing project in Chicago. Yeah. And then Rachel and Josh go, go. to Cabrini Green mm-hmm. to interview the people who fucking live there. Yeah. About clowns. About clowns. You guys. Have you ever, like, heard of any talk about any scary place on your block, place nobody went to? Every block's a scary plot. <laughs> Someone's shooting and killing out here. You guys think clowns are scary? Clowns? Yeah. No. Killer clowns. Killer clowns. You guys, you have to watch it to understand how ridiculous this it, is. It's so, it is so ridiculous. These guys that they're talking to are looking at them like, who the fuck are these what people? What are you doing? What are you talking about? I just could not get over the tone deafness of this moment. Oh, and the, the tone deafness does not end. I know. And the kids, like, killer clowns. And, like, they're just making fun of Josh and Rachel to their faces right. and they don't get it. They have no idea. They're it like, is... this is great. But then, because they're like, oh, man, like, we got to make this a little bit of a documentary. We really got it. We need more time, yeah, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. They they're driving around with a clown, like a, a guy. A clown historian. Who's dressed as, it's a clown. Yeah. It's a clown. He's who's dressed as a clown. Car. They put him in a white van, you guys. I'm not kidding. And he's honking <laughs> his the horn at kids riding their bikes. He's like, hey. Here we go. Game on, my friend. <laughs> 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 I'm like, this is why people are afraid of clowns. I don't need a documentary to tell me why. I'm and watching Rachel it. Rachel and Josh are just sitting in the back seat, like filming the whole thing. Rachel is like, can you blur my face <laughs> and distort my voice, please? So then he's like, oh, you know what you got to see? You have to see that monument in the cemetery at the mass grave of clowns. And I'm like, er. <laughs> wait, the what? <laughs> And he tells this, like, once again, here we are at night. Here we fucking are at night. I can't handle it through a cemetery. You can't even see them. I know. All you can see is, like, the light from their flashlight. Yeah. Here, look. See that? Baldy. Baldy. 1918, June 22nd. They said they only could name him Baldy because that was the only name they knew him by. It was a stage name. Four horse driver, 1918. Unknown male. Unknown male. Unknown male. Unknown male. Unknown male. All these graves are unknown. All these are unknown. And they're going through all the grave sites, and they're like, oh, unknown. (laughs) Oh, this one doesn't have a name. Again, just no information. No information. And then, they. this is when I was like, okay, I hate the victim photos. I hate all of this. And then 
they go to the Aurora movie theater shooting and talk about how, like, the Dark Knight and the Joker inspired this piece of shit to shoot up the movie theater. I know, I know. And now it's just, I'm like, you're just, now you're exploiting this too? And they're just trying, they're grasping at anything to tie it to like um, anything modern. There's nothing. There's just, this movie had nothing to it. I hated it. (laughs) Are we done? Are we going to like any of these Halloween docs? I don't know, man. We got one to go, you guys. Next week is My Amityville Horror. Yeah. I hope it's better. Like, we, every single one of these Halloween docs we've done has been fucking terrible. I know. it's They've been really bad. Um, You guys, don't forget, tickets to our live show are on sale. <gasps> We're making announcements about our Chicago show coming up soon. Come yep. see us at Podax. Um, if you're not in the Patreon, get in there, you get guys. Get in there. We're having so much fun. It's such a party. It's a party. We're doing the Jinx. It's The Jinx is so fucking out of control. It's like... It's so crazy. Yeah. We're up to episode two now. Yep. Um, we just did that great interview with Keith Maitland, the director oh, of Tower. Oh, our new best friend. That everybody loved. And then after the Jinx, we're doing Making a Murderer. Making a Murderer. And then, you guys, we're going to start doing like some of the Oxygen series, because we got to talk about Maura Murray. Yeah. we got to talk about Natalie Holloway. There's a lot to get yeah, through. Yeah, there's a lot. A lot. Uh, so it's a great time to like get into the Patreon and like get all this content and support us. Yep. My friend Ellen joined the Patreon. She's like, I have 67 things to listen to. 67 things. Oh, and that's the thing, you guys, they live forever. They do. 67? 67, Damn, including awesome. all like the extended outtakes and early on we did a whole bunch of mini apps just about yeah. our lives and stuff. Some random shit that happened to I us. Know. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, where can they find us? At True Crime Obsessed on Twitter and TrueCrimeObsessed.com and that's where you can get the Patreon and the links to the live shows and the promo codes. Yeah, if you're looking for our sponsors. promo codes from our advertisers, it's all right there, you guys. We It'll got just covered. link you right to it. Um, where can they find you? At Jillian with a G on all the things. I'm at Patrick Hines on the Twitter, at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram. So stay tuned for the preview for uh, My Amityville Horror, mm-hmm. then our outtakes, TM, TM, TM. You guys, I just, I need something that I love to be our palate cleanser this yeah. week. It's, so this week it's going to be from Everyday Rapture, starring Sharon A. Scott, my fave, <gasps> Lindsay Mendez, Betsy oh, Wolf, who I once Sherry. ran into when we were doing a recording session oh, at yes. another studio. Yeah. Betsy, if you're listening, I love you. Bye. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Yeah. All right, bye. Bye. I believe that there is a such thing as evil, and I was a victim of that. On November 13th, 1974, the house at 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, became the site of a notorious mass murder. I didn't want to be the Amityville horror kid. I've been running away from it, and it finally caught up to me. Very shortly after moving in, the Lutz family claimed to have begun experiencing mounting paranormal phenomena. When I went in there, there was probably four or five hundred flies. And we're talking, this is mid-December in Long Island. The entire family is standing there watching the garage door slam up and slam down. And the dog is hanging himself. I had to speak to George and Sir. But at that point, he was your stepfather. You don't want to call him dad? You're not my father. He lived with adults who believed in the occult. You married this guy. You moved me to his house. What the hell is he into? They got very deep with something dark and something evil that they totally didn't understand. Satanic history, devil worship, mind control. I was possessed by a spirit that I could not get rid of on my own. I didn't care if the priests were beating me and performing exorcisms on me, which, if I'm not mistaken, they don't want to talk about. When the stories start to change, 
then it's time to become suspicious. The sensation felt by Steve Petropoulos, our cameraman, he was overcome by something. This is one of the pictures that their photographer took that night. There were no children and no animals in the house that night. We remember bits and pieces of experience, but we'll fill in the gaps in our memory. Maybe this is just manifestations. Maybe you imagined all of this. I just wanted somebody to believe me. Show me the evidence. What took place in that house was a, a true personification of evil. Poison right. candy is not really a thing. Right, right, right. Everyone just go trick-or-treating if you're the appropriate age. <laughs> but don't go as a fucking indigo girl, you guys. I have that on lockdown. Or just bring a guitar also. <laughs> but if you're going as an indigo girl. Between gigs. Between gigs. <laughs> love the costume and the backstory. I love it so much. Um, I saw someone with a Slender Man tattoo the other day. Why? On their leg. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was heinous. Oh. It was also just like a badly done tattoo, um, but it was it was Slenderman, who's not real, everybody, not real. He does not live in the Slender Mansion. The Slender Mansion on creepypasta dot org slash net or whatever slash nightmare slash nightmare slash shut up. These two kids are out on like what he keeps calling a lovers lane. Yeah, you've heard you've heard that term, right? A lovers, lover's lane? lane. Yeah, it just sounds so old. Yeah, was it a Dear Abby? Were they necking? Right? <laughs> Heavy petting. <laughs> necking. Oh, my God. Yeah. Can you? Can we get a garbage ding? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, it's this booth is small. There's barely room for the garbage bin. I know. You guys, it's like, I like it. It's get, it's cozy in here. It is cozy. It's small because we're used to being in your- In my dining room yeah, surrounded yeah. by my mattresses and pillows. Totally. <laughs> Tell me everything you know about killing somebody with cyanide. Right. Can I put it in a pixie stick? <laughs> this is why I've never killed anybody. I, I wouldn't know how to do it. This and this alone. <laughs> Come, with me. Come with me. Come with me. Come with me. And we shall run across the sky and illuminate the night. Oh, I will try and guide you. Hey, baby.